Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 2, written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. An Adventurous Historical Romance Volume 2 of 6 begins with the Whigs invading Port Royal. They are escorted by Captain Longstaff, who soon encounters the very seductive Violante Hayes. Atia and Capitaine Laroche remain at Cherry Red's brothel. Plans are made to poison enemies, and soon a strange outbreak of scarlet fever occurs, stalling the local fare that drives the city's money flow. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 2. The Whig Invasion Torches lit up the streets and alleys near Fort James in Port Royal's inner harbor. The mob searching for Gator Gar, the elusive pirate who, until recently, had been thought long dead, had been disbanded by the city guards. All that remained were curious spectators gathered around King's Ground, the common area before the King's warehouses. Red Royals, under the order of Captain Richard Longstaff, set up a perimeter around the buildings. A new Whig government has arrived. Governor DeWar and Lord Llewellyn are to be arrested for treason forthwith, the town crier bellowed. Longstaff stood at the main entrance to the king's ground, contemplating which brothel he'd visit. Rumor was that all the beautiful strumpets had been killed in the five years since he'd last been here. Cherry Banks still remained, however. She'd have a couple of pretty ones for sure. Piper's aide, Sidrak Tellier, and two assistants dragged out a wooden podium to create a makeshift stage. These wigs love their pomp and circumstance. Longstaff remained silent. The corner of his mouth twitched. Admiral Godham stood nearby, ready to pounce on anyone suspicious. The old boy will retire soon, and his job's as good as mine. Piper's aide approached with a case of documents. Ah, trainer, what kept you? asked Piper. It's Tellier, sir. Just a bit seasick is all. He took out a journal. What time have you got, Harry? Piper turned to Mould. Mould glanced at his pocket watch and rolled his eyes. I'm still on London time, sir. He checked the mechanical clock housed in a small wooden structure overlooking the grounds. Quarter past eleven of the clock, sir. Note the date and time, Piper ordered, and then raised his walking stick as he addressed the crowd. I am acting lieutenant governor... Peter Piper, by order of Governor Spotswood of the Leeward Islands, I hereby claim custody of Port Royal in the name of King William. Which king's that, then? A bystander called out. In the name of King William, Piper's face twisted, Port Royal belongs to the Orange Party. Ain't that a fruit? A spectator heckled. Wigs over Port Royal? Mould shouted. I like the other one better. A man grumbled. An elusive smirk formed on Longstaff's lips. Frankly, he didn't care who ran the city. Everyone would eventually contract syphilis anyway. He'd made a bet with Fishhook that this government wouldn't last two months before being eaten alive. They weren't the least bit prepared for how things were run in Port Royal. Piper addressed Longstaff. Continue the search for Lords Dwar and Llewellyn, Captain. We'll take charge here. Aye, sir. Longstaff returned to his carriage where Lieutenant Lance Thorne stood waiting. Thorne, what a prick. Family wealth got him where he is. 
He never commanded a ship in his life, and certainly doesn't command any respect in the ranks. Leave two squads here, Longstaff said. The rest come with me. Move in and take the city. Aye, sir, Thorne rallied a team of Red Royals. Longstaff's carriage sped off into the city. Behind the courthouse stood a small building of stone and wood. Heavy metal brackets gripped large torches illuminating the city's hall of records. Slasher Al and Dogfish led six men with lanterns and stormed the front entrance. Al leaned on his musket as a walking stick, while his parrot, Lash, clung to his shoulder. His stitched leg dragged behind him. Watch what you're doing, he barked when his men practically squished him through the door. They were met by a night guard, who trembled at their approach. What do you want? Slasher Al aimed his pistol and squeezed the trigger. Your silence, assured. He cracked his neck and limped forward to get a closer look at the blood dripping down the guard's forehead. Not me best work, but it'll do. That's eight shots without a miss. Mark it up. Dogfish nodded. Yeah, yeah, I'll mark it when we get to the ship. Al motioned to his men and snarled. Search every shelf. Just do it alphabetical. Search A first for the name Albemarle. Take anything with the word Abelmeyer. Do it alphabetical. Dogfish said, Thanks, Tunahead, and don't repeat my orders. We're not on board. The men scoured the room. What do you want him for? Dogfish asked. It means us having the records is a binding contract that Cogsall can never break, Al sneered at Dogfish. Cogsall worked for two of the last governors, Modiford and Molesworth. The two ran an indentured servant business with the late Duke of Albemarle, along with Molesworth advisers Dorcas Dewar and Larry Llewellyn. Get it? Aye, Dogfish nodded blankly. These records are worth more than gold, Al clenched his fist. These records are real power. Like magic powers? Dogfish revealed his pointy teeth. Nay, you fucking idiot. They be the only documents tying them all together. Al eyed his men. Search every corner. The whole thing was reminiscent of the last time the government of Port Royal fell. Pirates and slavers weren't getting along, yet most of them had a hand in both trades. Cogsall and Crisp used their contracts in Africa to bring in huge shipments of slaves at rock-bottom prices. They ran Modiford and Molesworth's indentured servant business into the ground. Cogsall bought them all out and replaced them with his own shipping line. Slaves, whores, and indentured servants were all under the rule of Cogsall and Crisp. To distance himself from the pirates, Molesworth fired the last government and replaced them with his men, Dewar and Llewellyn, before he was sent back to England for treason. Al's men returned with pages and folders. That's all of them? Al asked. They grunted and nodded. Right, let's go. Al's men picked him up and crushed him through the entrance. Christ, you're all real heavy drinkers, ain't ya? They ran back through the alley out to Thames Street. Militiamen closed in, calling, You pirates! Stop! Dogfish drew his pistol and fired, causing them to scatter behind barrels and corners. Al recognized Fishhook. It's Big Dick's number one. Back the other way. Militiamen were ready to fire. No, let them go, Fishhook said. All pirates are allowed to leave. Al winced as he was carried away. The wound sustained from the fight with Gator Gar earlier that night made his thigh sting like a mermaid's severed tail. 
Down a narrow pathway he saw the bodies of two murdered strumpets who lay with ropes around their necks. They'll blame me for that, too. Crude it be. I'd be far more inventive than that. Bloody Mary came into view. She was fully loaded and ready to sail. The harbor behind her lit up with lanterns from hundreds of sloops and catches fleeing the city. Get her underway, Dogfish, Al ordered. Cast off fore and aft, Dogfish said, and crewmen took in the lines. Set sail for Rio Cobra. Once in the captain's cabin, Al sat at his desk and opened a drawer. He'd have given his left nut for a bottle of laudanum from Dr. McCaskill. That rabid old Scotsman. Al took a swig of rum from a silver flask. Along the Palisados, the church warden's carriage sped along the dark, bumpy road leading away from Port Royal. Sleeman sulked across from Governor Dewar and Lord Llewellyn. All were disguised as slaves, dirty with soot. Sleeman's arranged for his carriage to be waiting in Sweeting Lane, just beside the king's house. Things had gone mostly according to the escape plan, apart from Dewar and Llewellyn leaving three slaves naked in the street after stealing their clothes. Sleeman's reluctantly changed into slave attire, while Llewellyn just slipped it over the corset from his liaisons with the strumpet mute Katie earlier that evening. Excellent disguise, sir. They have no idea, Llewellyn said. Dewar furled his eyebrows. Why did we bribe them? It's customary nowadays, isn't it? Sleeman slapped the side of his head. They got as far as the gate of Fort Rupert, where they encountered two drunken city guards. One winked at Llewellyn, ogling his cleavage before waving them through. Oh, for Christ's sake, you don't fool anyone. The guards didn't take you for slaves. They thought you were off to do something kinky in the graveyard. Oh, why would they think that? Llewellyn squirmed. Dewar bit his thumb. Well, it wouldn't be the first time we've dealt with that accusation. Sleemans peered out the window into the pitch black. Fortunately for us, the fort was given conflicting orders. Someone did us a favor. It's always good to have Big Dick and Major Payne in your pocket, Dewar winked. Ah, you were right. Having Big Dick comes in handy, Llewellyn said. Well, I need a piss, Dewar banged on the side panel. Pull over, driver. Sorry, sir. I gave the driver strict instructions. No stops. Sleeman spoke smugly. Next time I do the books, I think I'll give myself a raise. What am I supposed to do? Piss out the window? It wouldn't be the first time you've done that, either, Llewellyn added. Sorry we had to leave the wives behind. Dewar's nose wrinkled. Well, I couldn't very well let them see us like this now, could I? But they could give away our location. Don't worry. They know nothing. They're women. Yes, well, even so, Sleeman sneezed soot from his nostrils. I was careful not to let on where we're going. Ah, good thinking, Dewar nodded. So... Where are we going? The Swiftsure Tavern was closed for repairs. Smoke lingered in the air while slaves toiled, sweeping and scrubbing. The fire earlier that night had reduced the front door to ashes while leaving scorch marks on the walls. A pile of broken tables and chairs sat in a corner being repaired by a carpenter. New curtains were already being hung, and new panes of glass had been installed. Cogsall wanted everything ready for the morning rush. Heavy footsteps slammed against the floorboards in the office upstairs. Cogsall rifled through a small mountain of paperwork on his desk. He gulped back a shot of rum and hurled random scrolls on the floor. Gator Gar slipped right through our fingers, 
but the trap was perfect. Virgil tried to gather up the documents. Not only was he there, he went for the redhead, just like you said he would. He took a sizable parchment to the head. Gator Gar's biggest flaw is he's predictable. Cogsall reached for a box. Predictable? I thought he was dead. Virgil massaged his temple where he sustained a paper cut. Well, he's predictable when he's alive, anyway. And thanks to Harbormaster Peppus, we had the jump on him. Cogsall removed a Cuban cigar. What went wrong? Simple numbers. Peppus said he didn't know about the buccaneers. Now the bloody wigs are going to get him. Cogsall pummeled the desk with his fists. Did Slazzarelli get away with the Albemarle records? Aye, he did. My sources say he's already on his way. Edmund Cogsall sauntered in. Cogsall's head darted upwards, still puffing the cigar. Don't you ever knock. Edmund dressed in a light brown suit, which added the illusion of height to his short stature. Bearing some resemblance to his mother, his son had bright blue eyes and the same dark hair. Edmund's mother had passed away, giving birth to him. I was under the impression all this will be mine one day, Edmund said. Right, right, what do you want? I hear we bought slaves from Maggot, two Irish girls. Cogsall wondered what shenanigans his son was connecting. Got a craving for Pikey, do ya? A couple of no-good trolls. I lost one of them, too, swiped out right from under me. Is the other one still alive? She is for now, but she's sick. Cogsall drank in the pungent tobacco. What do you want with her? I'll give you six hundred pounds. Where is she? Cogsall choked back a laugh. Six hundred for a sick pikey who mightn't survive the night, and you think I'm going to let you run things? You can wait till I'm dead. Didn't you pay a thousand for the pair? How about seven, then? She's in the upstairs bathroom. Doc McAskill wants her quarantined. Besides, she ain't for sale. I got bigger plans for her. She's my only chance on recouping on this deal. Burkhill peered through the window down at Thames Street. They're here. Cogsall drove his fist into the desk. This ain't the time for this shit. The government's been overthrown. The streets aren't safe. I'm leaving Pikestaff in charge of the Swiftshire tonight. So you're staying at the Wild Orchid with Chipwash until this all blows over. Now get out of here and leave me to my business. Eben backed away. Not to worry. I'm sure the new government will be just like the last. You better bloody hope so. And don't you go near the pikey, you hear? She ain't none of your concern, he eyed Burgill. Pack up what you got, and let's get the hell out of here. The street glowed with torch lamps, and the night sky above twinkled with a blanket of stars. Port Royal's night scene buzzed with heavy drinking and merriment. Strumpet Lily Waters loitered beside the front entrance to the Swiftsure Tavern. The repairs were well underway. She noticed men in red coats entering buildings. Her attention turned to Stevens, Edmund's right-hand man, guarding the carriage. Tall and muscular with dark skin, and wearing a charcoal-gray dress suit, she thought him quite handsome and blushed when he tipped his hat to her. From the crooked compass, the tavern down the street, Strumpet Sierra Lee strolled along, decked out in a sky-blue skirt and matching bodice. Her honey-gold hair was neatly arranged into curls. Although time-worn and sporting a scar across her cheek, she was still pretty enough to drum up business from the upper class. What's with the red coats? Sierra Lee began. Who cares as long as they're paying? Lily smirked. Say, have you seen the Irish girl? Nay, not at the crooked compass. We would have seen her. Maybe Katie knows? 
Have you seen her around? She's working the governor's party tonight. Won't be seeing her till tomorrow. Well, when you see her, tell her to give me a shout. Sierra Lee gave her a strange look. You know what I mean, Lily grinned. I'll tell her you was looking. Sierra Lee strutted away. Edmund entered from the tavern. In his mid-twenties with dark brown hair, well-groomed, and with polished manners, Edmund was clearly a gentleman. Lily folded her arms at his approach, putting on a haughty air. I hear your father's already got Katie working. I swear I had no part of that. He raised his hand peaceably. You know I would never let that happen if I had any say in the matter. Lily smiled and caressed his face. I know. I have word on the Irish girl. She's sick and Dr. McCaskill has her quarantined upstairs. Will you help me get her to Dr. Strangeways? Edmund shook his head. She's being watched by Pikestaff and probably Jane. I know how to handle Jag Jane. Lily bit her lip. I'm sure you do, but I've done all I can. Right, but at least we know where she is. Come along, I'll take you home. Edmund offered his arm, and she took it eagerly. Redcoats stormed the street, blocking their path. Lieutenant Thorne stepped forward. He'd been at Cherry's before. Lily was the only one who'd service him. She couldn't figure out why everyone called him a prick. He was more of an arse. You, there, stay where you are. Thorne removed a scroll from his jacket. Who goes there? I am Edmund Cogsall, son of Bernard Cogsall. Cogsall, Thorne scanned a list. From the opposite side, a squad marched in from Water Lane. Leading them was a handsome man dressed in royal blue. Secure the perimeter. You four, secure the wary bridge. This one's on the list, Mr. Fishhook, Thorne said. Said his name's Edmund Cogsall. Fishhook took the list. Edmund Cogsall? That's correct, sir. And you? Fishhook glanced at Lily. She gleamed. A friend. We're looking for Bernard Cogsall, Fishhook said. From the Swift Shirt Tavern, Cogsall and Burgill came out with their hands in midair. Cogsall stepped forward. I am Bernard Cogsall. I surrender willingly in exchange for protection. This is my bookkeeper, Barrister Burgle. Blimey! Fishhook's eyes widened. Lieutenant, take these men into protective custody. Aye, sir, Thorne signaled an officer. Have them escorted back to Fort James and put under guard. The officer approached. Mr. Fishhook, sir, Major Payne reports Fort Carlisle and Fort Rupert are secured. However, Lord Llewellyn and Governor Dewar seem to have escaped. We have arrested Ladies Dewar and Llewellyn at their residences on Sweeting Lane. Have Captain Longstaff meet us there, Fishhook ordered. I ask that my son be escorted to Lime Street, Cogsall added as he was led to a carriage. I was taking the young lady home, Edmund explained. Escort them all, Fishhook instructed, and start searching door to door. Find Dewar and Llewellyn. Aye, sir, Thorne saluted. Lily gave Fishhook a wink before drunken hecklers spilled onto the streets. A man in a pink suit and white lace cravat sneered. You spoiled a wonderful evening. Fishhook averted his eyes. Troublemakers mooned him and made obscene gestures with empty bottles. And they wonder why I hate Port Royal. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter Dominium Volume 2. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, 
and iTunes.com.